We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I mean, you sit through the Quincy Carter era, the, the Chad Hutchinson, the Vinny Testaverde, the Drew Bledsoe. And I actually believed in Quincy Carter. <laughs> like, like, and then, you know, obviously he had, you know, some, some personal issues that he had to handle. But when Romo came in, I'm like, oh, wow, this guy's really, really good. Um, we have a real shot. It's January 2010. Eagles at Cowboys. This is Remember That Game, the podcast about sporting events that take you on a journey and maybe chart the path of the zeitgeist. I'm your host, Thomas Emmerich, and my guest is the Rostradamus, Raheem Palmer of The Ringer, Spotify, and FanDuel TV. Those who checked out The Ringer Gambling Show before this year's NFL playoffs may have caught his Chiefs Super Bowl ticket at 10-1, to the futures odds Dallas had in 9 entering the playoffs, were you similarly bullish on your Cowboys back then on Saturday night of Wild Card Weekend? So this was like the first year I started really betting NFL football. I don't know if you guys remember, but there were three states outside of Nevada that had an exemption for um for betting. And it was Delaware, New Jersey, and I think it was Oregon. It might have been another one. Um, but Delaware allowed you to play parlay bets of three or more. So you had to like, in, it was only NFL sides, no NFL totals, no props. You had to play NFL parlays of three games or more. So um, at the time I had just graduated from college. I went to the university of Pennsylvania and Wharton school of business back in two, like from 2004 to 2008, I came out and I didn't have a job. It was like the heart of the recession. Um, back then I was like really into music. I was a creative guy. So I started chasing like music and my DJ dreams. And at the time it was just like, all right, on Sundays, I don't have anything to do. My friend was like, let's go down Delaware park. So I started going down Delaware park every week. And next thing you know, I'm betting, you know, I'm just betting regularly. But at the time, you know, like the, the Dallas Cowboys, they had looked really, really good at the end of the season. I mean, they had beat the saints, um, 24, 17, the saints were undefeated at that time. Um, they went on the road and beat them in the Superdome, and then they shut out the Redskins and then beat the Eagles. So it looked like they might have really have a shot. Much like when your chief Super Bowl ticket cashed, we got Reed and Romo in the house. NBC's Sunday night team on for Saturday. Faith Hill declares, I've been waiting all day for a wild card fight. Were you uh, doing that? Oh, yeah, without a doubt. I mean, anytime you have the Philadelphia Eagles versus the Cowboys, you're hype. And then, you know, me being from Philadelphia, 
I always feel that angst that, you know, that competitive um, juices because I'm a Cowboys fan. So a lot of times I'm going places and I'll go watch a game at a bar and I'm one of a couple Cowboys fans and I'm terrorizing the crowd. So um, that was a fun time. Back-to-back regular season wild card rematch with the spread moving from Dallas three week 17 to three and a half wild card round still in Jerry world where Eagles had just lost 24 zero. How might your general betting philosophy apply here? So, you know, back then I was like brand new. I didn't know anything. I didn't have a model. I just, I didn't know like, you know, situational spots. I didn't like, I literally, I, it was my first year doing it. So I, I know I made all types of mistakes and everything like that, but you know, I, I did play Dallas in that game um, just because I felt like they were the better team, but I was just more of a quant. I was a qualitative guy. Like I didn't have any quantitative analysis. I didn't, you know, I didn't know anything. Um, nowadays I know a lot more and I can come up with my own number for a game. And, you know, one of the things people don't realize is that people always say, Oh, it's hard to beat a team three times in one season. That is not true. And, you know, like, if you've been doing this for a while, you start to develop like a mental Rolodex of games and situations that you see play out over and over. So, you know, a lot of times you'll see these divisional teams, they end up playing three times in, you know, one season. And more often than not, the team that has their number dominates. So I think there's only been, I think there's been 23 instances of this happening. And I think it's like 14 and nine. Um, in fact, no, it's like 15 and nine with the last one being the Eagles beating the Giants three times last year. Um, So for me, I think you have to just kind of you see these matchups over and over and over again. Um, If one team just kind of has the other team's number, you got to really go with that team um, for the most part. But I do think you have to price every game individually because every game is just, it's, you know, it's just an individual game. Really hard winning a playoff game, but if I could play a team I've already beaten twice that year, I'd probably take that. Uh, and then, yeah, Eagles did it again to the Giants in, in 06, swept them three times, including the wild card. And so here in 09, we have uh, more NFC East intrigue wild card weekend. You as a Cowboys fan, you know, opening drive, watching them glide into the red zone and then proceed to, to back themselves out to fourth and 32, punt. And, uh, some bad penalties early on. I'm sure uh, you're thinking of other times in the past where games had gotten away where it felt like the Cowboys should be up more including this one second quarter scoreless uh how did the baggage of chasing that first Romo playoff win factor into your mindset while you were watching this it was so weird for me because I don't know if I I truly bought into the fact that you know Romo could win the game like to me his first game against Seattle he looked really good he just happened to fumble the snap which, you know, which randomly happens. And then with Giants, you know, a lot of times when you're, when you have that bye week, you kind of lose a little something. And I felt like they lost a little something. Whereas with this one, I felt like totally confident. Now, you know, you're watching that first half and it's like, damn, like it feels like they're totally dominating this game. And yet it's a seven, seven game when Michael Vick comes in and, you know, throws a touchdown pass. But, you know, Donovan McNabb really wasn't doing anything. And, like, that Eagles offense that year, they probably had the, the best weapons they've ever had during Donovan McNabb's tenure outside of the year where they had um, Terrell Owens. I mean, Deshaun Jackson, I mean, this guy was just, I mean, a game breaker. And then Jeremy Macklin was, was, was incredible. So that was the best weapons that McNabb had. And that Dallas defense completely shut them down. 
Yeah, McNabb is struggling, holding the ball. DeMarcus Ware, Marcus Spears, Jay Ratliff, Anthony Spencer, they're getting to him. Eagles knotted up, but it's on, as you mentioned, that 76-yard catch and run. Jeremy Macklin from Michael Vick, who had just finished serving time that offseason, and he's you know done a lot of positive things on that front since. From there, all you can do is move forward and do good. But I'm a Giants fan and a Virginia Tech grad, so Vick on the Eagles was not great. Uh, what was it like for you to see such a unique player back on the field, hitting you with the TD and eventually uh, replacing McNabb in your division? So that was an interesting time for me um, because, you know, I did mention I was a DJ. And, you know, one of my clients was actually um, Kiafa Vick. Um, okay. She had a store, yeah, she had a store called Pink Elephant. And, I mean, we were all rooting for Vick. We we love Michael Vick. Um, you know, it's just like you don't really want to see – a, a guy, you know, with a hundred million dollar contract coming from where he's come from, yep. his talent be in jail. So when he came out, I always had mixed feelings because I'm such a huge Vic. I was such a huge Vic fan, but he's playing for the Eagles. Um, and, you know, it was just I thought it was a stand up move from Donovan McNabb because Donovan McNabb said, hey, bring this guy in, give this guy a shot. And, you know, he eventually ends up taking his job. And I think the thing that, you know, it was so funny because. They they traded McNabb after this offseason, um, after they lost this game, to start Kevin Cobb. And I didn't think Kevin Cobb was it. Like, I mean, one of the things you remember from Kevin Cobb, I mean, he, he didn't play that long, but he threw that interception to Ed Reed, which is like the NFL record, 108 yards. <laughs> and, you know, when Kevin Cobb was, like, named the starter, I was like, what are y'all doing? Vic should be starting. And then as fate would have it, he gets injured in that Green Bay Packers game, and then Vic becomes a starter and has that, like, dream season. Like, I mean, that season was absolutely outstanding. Um, I had a chance to meet Vic in the club at one point in time. As I mentioned, Kiafa was, like, a client. So um, I was, like, really rooting. Like, that was the one time in my life to where I found myself rooting for the Eagles. I actually went to the Eagles-Packers playoff game. And it, wow. was, like, it was, like, absurdly cold because actually when I had a friend who worked for the Eagles at the time, he got us some really good tickets. Um, it was absurdly cold, but I was like really cheering for the Eagles as, as, as if they were the Cowboys. But that was the one time in my life that I would ever do that. Yeah. And, and you're rooting against the Packers. So it helps a little, a little bit. I imagine what, what, you met Vic. Was that during the, the 2010 season? Yeah, I met him. He, he came to the club one night. I, I, I was, I was DJing probably the biggest, you know, urban nightclub. Um, in the city at the time so we would have everybody there. i mean anybody like it was so funny because as much as i was a cowboys fan and you know my cowboys fan came from my childhood you know one of the first teams you because it's so interesting because it's not like today where you have nfl red zone or you have sunday ticket back then they would show your local market but then they would also show the cowboys so you're seeing if you're in philadelphia you're seeing the cowboys all the time and they were just so good with Emmett, Dion, Michael Irvin, and Troy Aikman. It was hard for me to root for Bobby Brister and the Eagles and Bobby Hoyer over the, you know, the, the Cowboys. So that became my, my 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 fandom because of my childhood. But I think I was almost mad at myself because I would be DJing these parties. I would DJ like an Eagles after party. Like the Eagles would win a game and Asante Samuel and – <laughs> all these guys would be at the nightclub. Like there's pictures of me and LaShawn McCoy in the DJ booth and him requesting records. Um, so I felt like I had a connection. I understood why people rooted for their hometown city team, but I just couldn't do it. 
when you started rooting for the Cowboys, where, was that like where as a millennial Cowboys fan, which could be a uniquely brutal experience? That where do you come in? So I was born in '86, um, and I just vividly remember watching that first Bills Cowboys Super Bowl. Yeah, I mean, where they, I mean, they just it's in the Rose Bowl, and they are just taking them into the deep waters and drowning them. And I was like, yo, that's my team. Like I've just I vividly remember watching it, and ever since then I've been a diehard Cowboys fan. Like just I mean, and you know, there's pictures of me when I'm seven, eight years old with Cowboys jerseys on, and I just never, I never change. The end of the you know Aikman era, a couple of playoff losses. Eventually, between you know Campo, Parcells, and Chan Gailey, zero playoff wins, and now we're getting on ten plus years. What was the desperation like before Romo took over in uh, 2006? And then how did it build that as, as you get to 2009, January 2010, there's still no playoff win in over a decade? I mean, it was brutal because, I mean, you sit through the Quincy Carter era, the, the Chad Hutchinson, the Vinny Testaverde, the, the, the Drew Bledsoe. And I actually believed in Quincy Carter. <laughs> like, like, and then, you know, obviously he had, you know, some, some personal issues that he had to handle. Um, but when Romo came in, I'm like, oh, wow, this guy's really, really good. Um, we have a real shot. And, you know, obviously the game against the Seahawks happens. Um, the following year, the Cowboys are 13 and three and they lose to the Giants. And then it was just kind of like, oh, man, like we may never put this together. Um, and then, you know, in 2009, Cowboys, I mean, they end that season 11 of five. Wade Phillips is in. And I felt like we really had a shot because I mean you beat that 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 thirteen and zero Saints team, it's kind of like the sky's the limit. Um, so I I really did believe in us, and I you know like I love the emergence of um, Felix Jones. Yeah. I mean, he just he was so explosive. Him and Tashar Choice. I wasn't really the biggest Marion Barber guy um, that season. Um, R.I.P. Marion Barber. Um, you know I felt like he was good. You know like two thousand seven season he was like you know. He was marrying a barbarian, but I always liked those speed backs. And Felix Jones brought that level of explosiveness. I thought I thought Romo was playing on the top of his game, but it's just um, ultimately we did we just didn't get it done. Those lost seasons of the Roma era because it seems like they're frisky at some point in every one. Two thousand six through two thousand fifteen found some creative way each time to for it to just suddenly be over. Uh, but what, what, is there one that sticks out the most with all those chapters in the book now uh, of the Roma era, that, what, what year that stings the most? It's by far the 2014, um, 2015 season. That is the one that will always hurt me the most because that was, to me, that was the best Cowboys team. Um, and I, I say that just, be, I mean, I know they had to go into Green Bay, but I truly believe Des caught that ball. And... You know, if you even if you go beyond Des caught it, the Cowboys were leading that game. And DeMarco Murray, I mean, like he has like he has daylight in front of him and fumbles it. And when that happened, it just totally broke my spirit. And we still had a chance to win that game after that. But that DeMarco Murray fumble um against the Green Bay Packers, I think we were up 14 to 7 at, at, at that point when he fumbled that ball. Um that one hurt. I, I felt like that was our year. Um, and I, I truly believe that because I, I felt like we could have beat, I, I felt like we could have gone into Seattle and beat them. I didn't think Seattle was unbeatable that year. Um, and you saw it, you know, the following week, Green Bay should have beat them. Um, really should. I mean, they dominated that game until the end. Um, Russell, 
Wilson threw four interceptions. And then, you know, the following week, you know, they, they, the Seahawks end up losing that Super Bowl to um, the Patriots. But I felt like Dallas could have gone in there and beat them. So that was the year that really hurt me more than anything. And let's get a little more nostalgic here. Nostalgia from the Greek word meaning pain from an old wound. So let, let's use it to further explore the mindset of a Cowboys fan on a postseason game day. I want to capture the full experience on a scale of one to five, five being the peak gut punch, being that 2014, uh, yeah, Julius Peppers just punches the ball out of DeMarco Murray as you're about to <laughs> go up two scores probably. Uh, let's go through the table of contents where each one lands on one to five, uh, five being peak. 06, the botched uh, snap hold by Romo after what, it could be a legendary drive to go ahead and get that first playoff and win, win in a while. One to five. I'm going to say that's a four for me. The only reason it's not a five is because you still had hope for the future. Like Romo was so good that year. But you went into next season saying, all right, we'll be back. So I'm going to say a four, um, but it was pretty painful. Yeah, 2014, I imagine you felt like it was getting to the end of the shots you have to take, 06 at the beginning. Uh, 07, the number one seed, Romo driving for the go-ahead score again, but picked by R.W. McCorders in the end zone. Where's that on one to five? Oh, that was that. That's definitely a five. Um, Just because we were just having such a dream season, and it just felt like we just weren't. It felt like we just didn't play our best game. And I think that that hurt. Because it's just like you saw what they did all season long, and then you're watching the game, and it's just like, oh, this is not that same. It's, this is not that same Cowboys team. So, and it's just, you know, I you don't realize it at the time, but you don't get too many of those shots. So, um, I think that one hurt me. Yeah, that one. Yeah, it just started off weird. Like, I think, I think Imani Tumor is like getting popped, but no, actually, no, he's he's taking off. Uh, mm. So we have. 2008, the season preceding this with the Eagles, week 17 uh, for the playoff berth. You go into the link. It, you know, Eagles are, are, are all playing the Cowboys. Cowboys might be able to have a shot coming back, but suddenly two fumble return touchdowns of 70-something, 90-something yards and to blow out. Where, where's that one, one to five? So I, I was actually watching this game with some friends, all Eagles fans, and we were pumped up for a big game. But, like, a lot of times these blowout losses don't hurt as yeah. much. It's just because, I mean, I won't say you expect it, but, I mean, when you look at, like, Romo, he missed three games that season. The Cowboys went one and two without Romo. He had that that broken right pinky finger injury. And even in that game against the Eagles, Romo had a rib injury. So it was just kind of like when you when Romo went out, that kind of destroyed our season. And, you needed that one game, basically a one game playoff in Philadelphia for the Cowboys to make the postseason. So it hurt, but it just, it was just one of those things you, I got over rather quickly. Some acceptance being, uh, uh, you know, going through the stages before the week even. So we'll, we'll skip 2009 here since uh, we'll be getting into how this one eventually goes sideways. 2010, Romo injury again after uh, through six weeks. He's, he's PFF's top graded quarterback. It would end the season as such, uh, the deal in, and then broken collarbone week six, it's over. Um, at least you have your new friend, Michael Vick, Philadelphia, but wh where does the 2010 rank? So I'm I'm getting deeper into betting at this point in time. Like I'm, I'm still learning. Um, it hurt, but it was just like, it was just kind of like, 
you're 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 so like a lot of times when a quarterback gets hurt, it's nothing that you can do. Um, so it's not it's not that painful. It's just one of those things to where it's like, damn, another year where it's just not going to go our way. Um, and I think ultimately, like the, the Romo era, it was it was I mean, it was ultimately marred by injuries. Like if if you had to ask me, I mean, you, it's really injuries. Um, and then you know, I think you know the defense kind of fell off for a while. They didn't have a good defense. If I had to rank the the, the Cowboys' losses, which were painful to me, it's easily Des caught it number one. And then I think you have to go into the Dak era, Dak's first year, because the Cowboys. I mean, Dak and Zeke, they were just rolling that entire year. And we know it's so funny. Romo got injured in preseason. And I remember telling some friends, Rumble's not getting his job back. And ultimately that happened. And, you know, they're 13 and three. They have the bye against the Packers. They start off slow. I think it's like 21 and three. And the Cowboys battle back and tie that game twice. And Aaron Rodgers just, just makes one of the greatest throws of all time. And it just sucked the life out of me. So that loss. In 2016 and 2014, I felt like those were our best two chances of winning a Super Bowl since 95, and it just broke. 2011, he plays heroically through a bunch of injuries. Final week of the season, they play Eli Manning when he, he's just blacked out and five big-time throws, zero turnover-worthy plays, and that defecto division title. 2012, they, they lose to RG3. But 2013, he's uh, playing through injury to beat Washington. And then they, I guess they play the Eagles – 2013's week 17 for playoff spot but without Romo right three-year stretch of just injuries as you get to that week 17 with a shot at the playoffs I bet that does that that probably inform you sort of expecting Romo's era had ended by the time that 2016 injury came around yeah definitely but it's so funny let's let's go let's go to 2015 because I don't think a lot of people remember this the Cowboys started off 2-0 in um 2015 and I was so hopeful for the Cowboys in that year. Um, and then in the second game of the season, Eagles linebacker Jordan Hicks, he landed on top of Romo and he broke his collarbone. And, you know, like you're looking at the Cowboys and a lot of people are saying, oh, yeah, their season's over. And I remember vividly the Cowboys were what? They were three and eight hosting the Carolina Panthers on Thanksgiving. And I'll never forget this. I think the Panthers were seven-point favorites in that game. And the Cowboys took sharp money in that game. Actually, no, they weren't seven-point favorites. The Cowboys were one-and-a-half-point favorites in that game because of Rome, because Romo was announced in for that game. Right. And a lot, of, a, a lot of the thought process amongst the Sharps were that if they could win this game, they still have a shot at making the postseason. Cause they had beaten Miami the week before and you know, the sharps were all over the Cowboys and Carolina. I mean, they, they just dominated the Cowboys and then Romo actually got hurt again in that game. Um, Cause Romo had returned the, the previous week against Miami and they won 24, 14. So I had hoped that the Cowboys would have like a real shot at making the postseason, And then by the third quarter, Romo's hurt. And it's just like, it's all over again. And, you know, going into next season. Once he got hurt, they drafted that Dak Prescott. And once he got hurt in the post the preseason, I was like, yeah, the, the Romo era is completely done in, in Dallas. As much as I, you know, I thought he was a great quarterback. Um, you go back to some of those games, 
I don't know if you remember, it was like a 51-50 game um, against um, the Denver Broncos. I feel like yeah, Peyton Manning might have had like a bootleg score there or something wild. Yeah. Yeah. Like uh, it was just like that. It was 51-48, October 6, 2013. You got to see how good Romo could be. I mean, Romo had, you know, 506 yards, five touchdowns and one interception. <laughs> Peyton Manning was like four. 114 yards, four touchdowns, one interception. It was just like they were going back and forth. And it was just, I mean, ultimately, you know, Romo throws the interception <laughs> uh, with two minutes to go and the Broncos kick a field goal to win. But to me, that's a microcosm of the Romo era. Just high highs. And then ultimately, for whatever reason, whether it's an interception, whether it's an injury, it just doesn't, it, it just never got done. Capsulated makes uh, a legacy throw to Des Bryant, and then it's not even injury. It's just like a weird time for <laughs> litigating what a catch is. Yeah. Oh my god! I actually, I, I'm I was so angry at, after Des called it that I went to the boxing gym and I I just hit the heavy bag. Mm. <laughs> like I just I'm going to the, I'm like I'm hitting the heavy bag. I'm putting on DMX. I'm, and I, like they let you play music inside of the gym. Yeah. Um, and I played DMX <laughs> the whole time. A jog or some sort of exercise after 06, it, Romo leads, yeah, what is a game-winning drive and his first playoff start, but it just doesn't hold the, the snap. Yeah, and, and like, like Romo might be the only starting quarterback in the NFL in the last 20 years who was responsible for holding the snap. Yeah. And then, you know what, you get that false hope because I thought he was going to run it in. And then he gets, gets caught from behind. And it, it just was absolutely heartbreaking. It was like that play is really the, it's the Romo era. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline pretty deflating end of 2008 and dallas lets teal walk in free agency but a guy entering his fourth year with fewer than 20 career catches gives them a jolt the miles austin breakout 
third in receiving yards behind Sidney Rice and Andre Johnson, including a game-winning 49-yard score at the link in November that year. Austin is a spark that snaps the tie in this wild card, converts the third and long near, near midfield, draws a long pass interference, get to the goal line, play action, touchdown to John Phillips, 7-0. Eagles' live money line, I imagine, is now north of minus 200, I'd guess. And what was your betting journey? Get a little more into that. So, you know, at the time, like I, I told you, we were placing, I mean, I, I was so new to betting. Like, and at the time, I mean, it was just basically parlay bets. So, and I, I like, and it was parlay bets of three or more. That's, I mean, and that was, it just was, it was very difficult to hit those. Um, um, And, you know, they had, one of the things that, one of the interesting things about those parlay cards is that they'd released the parlay cards on Wednesday and those numbers would lock, but then the markets would continue to move. And I didn't figure that out until, you know, like season two. I mean, the first year I just was trying to just get my feet wet. So I'm over here just, you know, I'm placing, you know, and they have like the parlay cards to where they have the, the numbers on a parlay, but then they have a teaser card. And then they have a super teaser card. Uh, like, so like the, the teaser card, they move the line, you know, five. They they really supposed to move it six points, but sometimes on the teaser card, they move it five and a half points. <laughs> like they'll cheat you out of a number. Um, so I'm doing all of that. That that's the extent of my betting. Um, and I I'm thankful for that time because I had to really, really be perfect. You know, like if you're playing, you know standard bets at minus 110 you have to break eat your break even rate is 52.38 percent of the time um whereas like yo you have to hit a parlay of three or more like you got to be a damn good handy handicapper <laughs> um and then you know i mean once you discover that okay these parlay cards they lock on wednesday and the numbers continue to move so that, you you know, there's a playoff game on Saturday or a playoff game on Sunday or, you know, a week 10 game on Sunday. I could just bet against I could just bet against the numbers that move. I was in a good position, but I mean, it was it was really difficult. And, you know, it's so funny because. I, I mean, I was like, I had no idea of what I was doing at all. So I'm pretty sure you're familiar with um, um Wong teasers, right? Yeah, so at the time, I didn't even know about Wong teasers. Like, I'm playing, like, literally uh, an eight-team teaser or a 10-team teaser that pays, like, 30 to 1, <laughs> and I'm putting $50 on it. <laughs> like, I'm just, like, I mean, that's the type of stuff that I was, I mean, I tried any, I had no idea what I was doing. It was my first year. Um so, you know, going into this game, I probably like parlayed the Cowboys with something else, but um, I, I didn't know what I was doing. And then I think at some point during the postseason, I was like, you know what? I want to bet straight up games. Um, I'm going to go on Bavada and I'm just going to bet one individual game. And the first Super Bowl I ended up betting was the Saints. And I actually had the Saints that year. Um, I bet the Saints um, money line. And I was, I was real proud of myself for that bet. Plus 180, something like that. Yeah. Um, and then I later found out Billy Walters had like $3 million on it. Um, and then that's when it was just like, it was, it was so interesting because that was the first year where like I'd won something and I'd be like, Oh shoot, I can bet on it and buy it. <laughs> so it's like my TV, like it's so crazy. My TV had broke. 
<laughs> I had a like um, and this was when flat flat screen TVs were like super expensive. Um, I think I had like a big screen TV, you know, one of the old style ones, and it broke. And I'm like, shit, I need a TV. <laughs> so like um, I think I had placed like a a, a crazy parlay bet. It might have been a a, a a five team parlay, paid twenty to one or whatever, and I put like a hundred dollars on it, and. I got my TV. I got a new flat screen TV um, back when like when they were like thousands of dollars. And the first game I watched on that TV was the, the Cowboys beating the Saints. <laughs> oh, that's uh, like okay, they that's, literally they literally just delivered it right before the game and installed it and everything. <laughs> DeMarcus Ware, a little boost in that game. You no, know, he's, he's being watched on uh, the state of the art television at that time. And uh yeah, I was, I was glad you, you dived a little more into that the state of the art of the, the gambling product back then. That was a cool uh, window in. Yo, it was it was a complete like I, I like it was so crazy. Like it's amazing seeing how far gambling has come now versus back then. I mean, we were all like, I mean, and you go down Delaware Park Casino and everybody would be down there. I mean, like there was no mobile betting. There was no props. There were no same game parlays. Everybody was just placing these three game parlays and everybody wanted action. And it was to the point where, I mean, you look at some prominent gambler, gamblers, like you look, I'm, I'm not sure if you're familiar with um, Captain Jack Andrews. Captain Jack Andrews was, I mean, probably one of the sharpest gamblers on the planet. He'd be down there filling out parlay cards, knowing that since the line moves on Wednesday, he could get a better line on Sunday. So he'd be doing that. Like um, he would be down there, Philly Godfather's whole crew. I don't know if you know Sheep. Sheep is the guy who fixed those NBA games. Um, Whoa. Yeah. Everybody would be down there knowing that this is the only place to bet um, NFL games on the East Coast. And all you have to do was bet against the stale number. So it was whole crews down there. And it just was like, it was an incredible time period. And it's where I got my start. And I eventually moved on to, you know, just betting straight games and everything like that. But during that time period, it was, it was, I call it my college education. What, what a time and place. Yeah. You're over there and then you're in a Philly bar rooting for your Cowboys. And then you just watch the Cowboys relentless in the second quarter stretch where Romo converts three straight third and longs, finds Jason Witten wide open corner out to the goal line. Not sure if it was a coverage bust at safety. Philly let Brian Dawkins walk that off season. Cowboys punches in 14-7, second quarter. McNabb at one point is one for six, two total passing yards late in the first half. I imagine the folks around you in the bar who could count on Andy Reid winning the first game each postseason were suddenly getting a little nervous. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. Like, I think McNabb hadn't completed his first pass until, like, deep into the second quarter. Yeah. Like, it was, like, it was stunning. And, you know, for the fact that Michael Vick had to come in and, and like, his pass was the most productive thing all day. You're like, holy. Sh-. And, you know, at one point it's tied 7-7 in the second quarter. And it looked like Romo threw an interception. Wade Phillips challenges it. They overturn it. And the Cowboys never really looked back from there. Because I, I think that's when they scored that touchdown to Jason Witten. Yeah. And it just felt like, oh, yeah, this game, it felt like the game was over. It just felt like the Eagles aren't going to do anything. Um, and then, you know, the Eagles kept turning the ball over. You know, Michael Vick had a fumble. Um, McNabb threw an interception or, or rather a fumble. 
it just was so many tur turnovers. It just it actually felt like the end of the McNabb era. Zero zero, and then twenty seven point second quarter for Dallas. The Eagles had paced the NFC East and postseason finish six of the previous eight years. McNabb, uh, I don't know if it was confidence or or nerves or or what, but he comes out the tunnel banging on the glass in front of the Cowboys fans at, at Jerry World, uh, first year of the new stadium. The NFL Network highlight team with Michael Irvin and Dion. Dion's calling a glass dance, but then suddenly 27-7 going into the half. McNabb, Jed is in the offseason. Jim Johnson had, had passed on the eve of training camp. In, in his play, Sean McDermott. And then Andy Reid eventually would be out a couple years later. Did you feel like the Cowboys had a role in just ejecting Andy Reid from the NFC East and having to deal with him two to three times a year? In real time, it didn't feel that way for me. It just felt like it felt like Andy Reid would be there, but I could tell that they were everybody was done with McNabb. It just felt like McNabb wasn't the same quarterback anymore. Um, and, you know, I, I told you about, you know, my feelings on Vic and everything like that. So it felt like it didn't feel like the end of the Eagles era at all. Um, the end of the Eagles era felt like the following year after Vic's breakout year. That's when it felt like, oh shoot, this is this is going left. Like it, it felt like it, it just was th those those last two years with Andy Reid. I mean, Michael Vick was just so banged up, and it, it felt like the league had figured him out. And so that's when it felt like it ended. But that following year, I felt like, you know, I felt like the Eagles were going to, they were going to do something. And I, I I was a little bit delighted that they decided to go with Kevin Cobb because I just didn't think Kevin Cobb was good. Um, Now, granted, we, we didn't get a chance to, you know, see what he would become because he had all those, all those concussions, but I wasn't a believer in Kevin Cobb. And, you know, when they went to Vic, I was like, Oh shoot, they might actually put something scary together. And, that was the most weapons that I had seen with the Eagles in, in quite some time. I mean, they had, you know, Deshaun Jackson, Jeremy Macklin, um, LaShawn McCoy. Like, as good as those Eagles were with McNabb, they didn't have those type of weapons. You know, they had like Todd Pinkston and, and Thrash, and you know, whereas just like it just felt like this Eagles era was just so explosive. Um, they just didn't have the defense that, you know, that Eagles defense, um, the Eagles in the early 2000s had with Westbrook and whatnot. But um, I didn't think the Eagles were done. I just thought it was McNabb. It was time for him to leave. Definitely seemed over when Felix Jones, 73 yards to the house. Arkansas backfield made a feature cowboy, Darren McFadden, something about Jerry Jones and Arkansas. McNabb to Deshaun Jackson does cut the Cowboys lead to 34-14. Eagles would lose to Dallas. Again, 33-13 late in 2023 before spiraling to the end of the season and some uh, turnover. Watching from the Cowboys fan perspective, do these two games give similar vibes? No, I don't think they give similar vibes. I think, I mean, this Eagles team was kind of a mess. Um, like, in 2022, all the Sharps were betting the Eagles because they had one of the easiest schedules in the NFL. Um, and you saw that they got off to like such a, a really, really hot start. And what they would do is they go up in these games and the second half, they kind of would relax. We knew that the Eagles schedule would be tougher in 2023. And you're going through, they start off the season 10 and one, 
but they had the Pythagorean expectation of a team who really had just won, you know, seven seven games or so. So they were overperforming. I mean, this is a team that got outgained by the Patriots with Mac Jones. Um, they got they should have lost that game against Minnesota, but I mean, obviously Minnesota has some key turnovers. Um, they out they got outgained by the Washington Commanders. So this was a team that I felt like was fool's gold. And, you know, they beat the Cowboys 28-23 in a game. It felt like the Cowboys should have won. Um, the Chiefs probably should have beat them. The Bills probably should have beat them. And, you know, San Francisco, like all the sharps were on San Francisco. You just knew that the, the Cowboys were going to come out and, you know, assert their dominance against this team who had really been overperforming um, their point differential. So that didn't feel like, it didn't feel like it didn't feel like this 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 Cowboys Eagles playoff game to me. It felt like water was just coming home to its level. And then also I think, you know, it felt like there was some inner turmoil there because, you know, Sirianni, I mean, he lost both of his coordinators um before the start of the season. Um, Shane Steichen, I, I mean, to me, he it it's it felt like he was the genius behind that team. Um, uh, and then you bring in Brian Johnson and Brian Johnson, I mean any Eagles fan on any timeline is complaining about his play calling. Um, and then you lose your defensive coordinator as well. So I just think there were a lot of things they just needed to figure out. I do think the Eagles will probably bounce back next year. I mean, obviously, I mean, Kelsey could retire. So you're losing a piece off this offensive line, but I don't think the Eagles are done by any stretch. So it, it doesn't like, and they still got Jalen Hurts. So, I mean, the book and the jury is still out on him, but, Jalen Hurts is still in the prime of his career, whereas McNabb was just kind of like, yeah, all right. So it's not it's not the same for me. Yeah, yeah quarterback situation very uh, different as far as uh, trajectories. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens with the coordinators. Reed, not after 2009, but after 2010, would fire uh, Sean McDermott and then replace them with a offensive line coach, as I recall. Finding the right staff down the stretch in Philly for Reed seemed like didn't go as great, whereas in yeah, with the Chiefs, eventually found he was able to get Steve Spagnolo set up pretty well there, just like he was with with Jim Johnson in Philly. But here, much like Spags, Wade Phillips' defense just boa constricted them late in the third quarter. There's a stat that season against the Cowboys, the Eagles had 31 drives and two touchdowns. One was Victor Macklin that game. Tashar Joyce and Felix Jones run free. Marion Barber kind of fallen off and a little nicked up that day but Romo only eight pass attempts in the second half none went more than 10 yards didn't need to how much do you feel Romo's legacy is tortured by great performances coming in tragic losses we touched on a little bit earlier in a triumph like this he's fine but doesn't have to do as much in the second half I think a lot of his legacy is tortured by injuries more than anything um I mean you look at you you, you can break down 2008 broken right pinky finger that destroyed the season 2010 broken left collarbone against the giants that was the one that was a meme where you know tony romo was just laying there in the middle of the field that destroyed their season um 2013 ruptured disc that destroyed their season 2014 uh, process fact fractures 2015 broken left collarbone twice and then 2016 compression fracture and you know, those 2015 and 2016 years, those are years to where it felt like the Cowboys had legitimate shots at winning the Super Bowl. So I think injuries played a part in that as well. But I think a lot of times when you when you did ask Romo to do too much, 
you kind of got a, a back-breaking interception. Um, and I think that's what made, you know, 2014, um, that loss painful. 2015, those injuries painful. And in 2016, because you saw the one thing the Dallas Cowboys did towards the, you know, the back end of Romo's career was realize, hey, we need a good offensive line. You know, let's let's bring in Travis Travis Frederick. Let's bring in Zach Martin, all of those big guys, and we're going to run the ball. Um, and you saw it with Demarco Demarco Murray. We saw it with Ezekiel Elliott. Romo never got a chance to play with Ezekiel Elliott, which is it's kind of crazy when you think about it. <laughs> so um, you know, and, and peak Ezekiel Elliott was just I mean, a lot of people remember him now for being just the slow pop plotting back, but I mean. That first year, he had a gear. <laughs> and that first four or five years, you're looking at Zeke, he's he's as good as any running back in the history of this league. And Romo never got a chance to play with him because he got hurt. Drafted Zeke with Romo in mind as the week one starter, injured in the preseason. And yeah, Cowboys win this 34-14, going to the next in the divisional against the Vikings. Cowboys are actually only two and a half point dogs. But in this game, Flozell Adams gets injured. Jared Allen, Ray Edwards, and Brian Robinson combined for over 20 pressures. How impactful do you think this game was in the course that the Cowboys eventually started charting later? Um, This was, I mean, it was a rough loss just because, I mean, the way the Cowboys ended that season, it just felt like they had a real shot. And I know the, you know, the, the Vikings were kind of just starting to really, the way they closed out the season, they didn't look that good. So I think that's why that line was only two and a half. Um, I didn't have a model back then, so I had no idea how to truly price a game. I just kind of was just going off of, you know, feel and subjective analysis. Um, and I, I realized that was not the way to to beat NFL or beat any sport. You kind of got to even know what a number is and price it out. Um, um, and, you know, watching that game, it's just, you know, the Cowboys just couldn't block them. And then obviously, I mean, the game probably would have been a little bit closer, but the Cowboys missed a couple field goals. Um, and that changes things. You miss, you know, field goals, you take those points off the board, then you're chasing those points later. And, you know, Rummel feels like he has to do more because his field goal kicker can't get it done. And then they can't, you can't block Jared Allen. You just, you, you're, in a, you're in a tough situation. I mean, and then, you know, Brett Favre, I think he was, Brett Favre kind of overcame some of his demons because all throughout the nineties, that was the team who he couldn't beat. Um, and you could argue that Brett Favre probably has more than one Super Bowl if the Cowboys don't exist in the nineties, um, because they dominated him that much. Um, the year he won a Super Bowl, he had to take on the Cowboys. This has been another episode of Remember That Game. Please rate, review, subscribe, and check out more episodes. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. 
For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour 3-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.